You are listening to She Rises, a podcast dedicated to women who are ready to stop settling and start living their lives by design. If you're ready to talk about the stuff that weighs you down and get practical advice on everything from your health, body image, spirituality, relationships, and personal growth, then you're in the right place. Hello, I'm Giovanna Capoza, your host, master coach, spiritual teacher, and mind-body expert, and I'm on a mission to unsettle women all over the world. Are you ready to rise? Your children are not your children. They are the sons and daughters of life's longing for itself. They come through you, but not from you. And though they are with you, yet they belong not to you. You may give them your love, but not your thoughts. For they have their own thoughts. You may house their bodies, but not their souls. For their souls dwell in the house of tomorrow, which you cannot visit, not even in your dreams. You may strive to be like them, but seek not to make them like you. For life goes not backwards, nor tarries with yesterday. You are the boughs from which your children as living arrows are sent forth. The archer sees the mark upon the path of the infinite, and he bends you with his might that his arrows may go swift and far. Let your bending in the archer's hand be for gladness. For even as he loves the arrow that flies, so he loves also the bow that is stable." That's a quote from Khalil Gibran, and it is the quote that starts off the book, Fatherhood as Leadership, by my friend and author, coach, TEDx speaker, Devin Bandison. And he's on the show today, and I'm so excited for you guys to hear this conversation. You know, it was really important for me to uh, bring him on the show because I want to have guests on the show that are feeding you as women and giving you the knowledge and inspiration and information that you need and and also to give you a different insight. And I think as women, many times, as you'll hear me say on the show, we have this idea of what a man's role or a father's role should be. And we get stuck in that. And, and for some of us, it's, it's an old paradigm. It's an old way of thinking. And there's some expectations tied into that. And so when I read Devin's book, I was moved to tears. I laughed out loud. It was an amazing book. And I already know several men fathers in my life who are going to receive this as a gift because that's how powerful it is. Devin and I met very recently, just uh, last year, and we were fast friends. He is an amazing coach. He's one of the most sought after success coaches in the world. He coaches and works with Fortune 100 companies and people from all walks of life, really, athletes. CEOs, uh, salespeople, small business owners. As I mentioned, he's an international TEDx speaker on fatherhood. And really, he's lived his entire life to do this work. You know, I really got that from the book with Devin is that this is his calling and his mission. And above anything else, he's a dad. And he talks about that in this book and the importance of fatherhood. So again, I'm really excited for you guys to join us today. Have a listen in on our conversation. I know you're going to love it. And when you're done, go on over to SheRisesPodcast.com. Leave a message or a comment for Devin in the comment section of the podcast. Or join us over on the Facebook group, She Rises Tribe, and tag myself or Devin there to continue the conversation. Enjoy this show, and thanks again for being here. Hey, Devin. Welcome to She Rises. I'm so excited to have you on the show. Hey, Giovanna. Thanks for having me on. It's an honor and a privilege and uh, excited. I'm excited to have you here too, and I, I wanted to give the listeners 
a little bit of a background because you and I are like new friends. Like we met, when was it? Last year? Is that when we met? Yeah, last year. On the phone, right? And we just like hit it off right away. And then by fluke, we met in person at, was it Carl Cease, right? We went to that event. Yep. Cassie's, yep. And I just feel like you're my brother from another mother. Like we've just hit it off. Yeah, it's it's amazing. I feel the same way. It's and it's not that we speak every day, but I feel so connected to you. Uh, we we met at an event last year that you know I got invited to, and and in person, it was one of those things. You know, when you run into somebody and there's an instant connection, and uh, it's been an honor to get to know you. And I love what you're doing with the podcast. I, I know that you know I tease you because at first I. <laughs> to another friend, right? And and I said, oh man, Giovanna's doing some great things, but why did she name it Sharice? <laughs> I laughed that a little bit. And our friend, our mutual friend uh, said, Devin, uh, look at the name again. And I realized it was She Rises. So uh, I loved it's that. Uh, amazing. <laughs> I, was, I was laughing. I was in tears when I saw that exchange. I was laughing so hard and I'm like, okay, that's going to just be my stripper name is Sharice. That, that's right. It's right? totally like your <laughs> Ego, I love it. I love it. And if anyone is listening and your name is actually Sharice, I apologize. <laughs> actually, I know a few Sharices. They're good people. I just didn't understand the connection with the podcast. But I guess she rises. I mean, I really, uh, all jokes aside, you're doing some amazing work oh, out here. Thank you. Well, you got it. You got on board. And and you're doing amazing work. And that's why I wanted to have you like immediately on the show, especially because your your brand new book is out. It's called Fatherhood is Leadership, your playbook for success, self-leadership and a richer life. And I was like, I, I got to have you on. <laughs> well, so, thank you. Yeah, yeah I'm it's, happy you're here. Yeah, it's been it's uh, it's been an amazing. It just came out last week and it's um just been a win for us. Amazing. People are just responding in droves and I couldn't even understand the impact. Uh, I went out and wanted to make a book that really impacted lives and, and really one relationship, one conversation, one kind act at a time. And uh, I've just been overwhelmed by the amount of love and support um, all over uh, that the book has had and, and um, just every day from men, women, families, organizations. It's it's really been humbling experience. And we were number one release on Amazon last week. Amazing. Uh, it was all organic. It wasn't any real promotion. It was just, you know, creating, you know, the seeds of, of years of service and showing up for people in, in a service heart-centered leadership mindset, and um, it just has just come back. And I'm most excited not about how many books go out, but really that it gets in hands and it, it really helps, you know, one father, one family, one community at a time. I think if we're going to change the world, it uh, really starts with relationships. It starts with one. one Absolutely. One, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I was sharing with you just before we hit record that, you know, I read it yesterday and I was like, I was in tears one minute. I was like so touched by what you share and the stories you share and these experiences that you've had. And then the next minute I was like laughing out loud and I just thought it was really well put together. And as a woman, you know, I shared this with you as a woman, I really appreciate reading it because I think, and this is why I wanted to have you on the show. I think women sometimes we get so wrapped into our experience, right? And our own stuff that we don't really see our partners or the male counterparts in our lives, or maybe even what fathers actually go through. And, you know, for myself, just speaking personally, I really resonated with this piece in the book where 
when I started to see my father as like a person and like a flawed person is when I started to like release a lot of resentment and hurt. And and I think it, this book just goes a long way into giving people the tools. I mean, some of the exercises that you were giving, I was doing them myself. Like you asked some really profound questions here. So if you could, like, let's just dive in a little bit. Give us a bit of your background, because I think your background is extraordinary in, in how this book came to be. Yeah. So, I mean, it started out, um, you know, my background has been kind of it started when I was a teenager. You know, there was some drug addiction in my house and my father, um, who was my hero growing up. And, and when my grandmother passed, you know, he turned to drug addiction. And, you know, at that age, you know, I, I kind of blamed myself and said, what did I do wrong? And, and oftentimes, whether you're male, female, you know, those first relationships with your parents um, really is a turning point sometimes on, on decisions you make and stories you create about the next several years of your life. And at that point, I made a decision and I called that I called the promise that many young fathers and even uh, mothers make if their parents aren't as involved as maybe you think they should be. And the promise was when I become a father, uh, I'm going to be a better father than my father. And, you know, a few years later, and, and when I was finishing college, we had our first daughter and um, I was more present but I had no idea how to, what I was doing. I had no template. I had no you know model of, of what I was doing, and I was making a lot of mistakes. But I was fed it's in, at an early age this kind of unhealthy belief system that men don't show they're vulnerable and men don't ask for help. And and so at that point, I was just really struggling and suffering in silence. And throughout the years, I, I dedicated my early career into developing programs for a nonprofit agency. Uh, I developed programs for at-risk youth, what they call at-risk youth. I like to call them at hope youth mm. and then also first time fathers. And from that work, it really had grown and expanded. Um, and I was really uh, making a big impact throughout some of the toughest boroughs and, and parts of New York City. And I really loved the work. And then a few years back, uh, several years back, the vice president came to me and I was big into leadership coaching, leadership development on the side. But I had this full time job. Um, and I was running a program that was serving over 2,000 children and families every year and, and had social workers and things like that and psychiatrists and, and really in the community. And then the vice president said, Devin, everywhere you've been, you've built these programs. You have high you know, employee satisfaction and productivity. So we want to give you this job. And, and they gave me this uh, promotion. It was better pay, better title, Midtown Manhattan. Um, and about eight minutes into that job, I realized I made the biggest mistake of my life. The, the, it was a toxic environment. You know, it was really negative. And at, at that time, Giovanna, it was like the lowest, it was one of the lowest points in my life because I was also going through a difficult divorce. Mm -hmm. And when I was going through this divorce, I was saying these things. I was in this, what I call the scarcity, you heard the scarcity mindset where I said, you know, she's going to take everything. I'm going to lose it all. I'm going to eat, I'm going to be broke. I'm going to eat ramen noodles the rest of my life life. And uh, I'm going to be living somewhere on the street on the Bowery. And, and it really was a low time. And um, at the same time, I had gone to this leadership training for the nonprofit. And I ran into a guy who became my mentor. He used to work for a guy named David Allen, um, getting things done. And, and he met me in the hallway and he said, you know, Devin, something about you. And, you know, Giovanni, I'm from New York. So when someone said, <laughs> I, I'm kind of like, all right, that's what they all say, Jason. And he said, no, really, let's stay in touch. And I really was skeptical. And I said, yeah, that's what they really all say. But he actually stayed in touch and he sent me some stuff. And about, and this is, you know, to wrap up, he, you know, about four weeks later, he invited me to his retreat. 
And he sent me an email and said, we have this retreat in OJAI, California. <laughs> he said, um, all you have to, I'll waive the fee. All you have to do is, is get a place to stay and a plane ticket. And because I still was caught up in this scarcity mindset, I was saying, I don't know if I could do it, you know, a plane ticket. And uh, three days went by and I couldn't really sleep. I had this knot in my stomach and I realized if I don't make this commitment, if I don't take this chance, you know, to go out there, I may be living my default future. I may, you know, regret this the rest of my life. So I read the email, I pick up the phone, I call this place called the Lavender Inn. I say, hey, this is Devin. This is my first time in OJ, California. <laughs> and, and the lady starts laughing at me and she says, you know, Devin, you sound like a nice guy, but OJ is that guy we don't talk about too much. Uh, she said, this is Ojai. And I said, oh, my bad. So uh, I go down to Ojai and uh, I sit down and um, it was the best decision, one of the best I ever made. And, and in that three-day retreat, uh, he asked me two questions. He said, what do you have 10,000 hours in? Um, and he said, what would you do if money wasn't an issue? And I said, well, I love fatherhood because, you know, I live and breathe fatherhood. I have three children. I've developed programs for fathers in New York. And I love coaching. I love transformational leadership coaching. And he said, build a business around that. And I said, what? He said, no, really, build a business around that. And uh, I circled the date, three months on the calendar. I said, I'm going to have my first keynote. I had spoken in conferences for the nonprofit. I circled the date. I invited some people I met who were TEDx speakers who I met at TEDx just from relationships. They came out, you know, free of charge, and, and I became the keynote. They recorded me. And within nine months or within ten, nine months of me being in Ojai, I had gotten a call to do my own TEDx talk. And then within a year and a half of that, kind of built my coaching practice to a point where um, you know, it was, I was at this point where I, you know, I went to my coach and I said, well, you know, I, I have to leave my, my job right away. And, and because I, I watch too many shark tanks and, and I have to be <laughs> a real entrepreneur, right? And burn said, the bridges or burn the boats, right? Burn boats, right? Burn it all, make the jump, big leap and all this. And he said, slow down. He said, look, you're in a perfect position. Why don't you create a bridge and make your coaching practice so successful that you have to leave? And that's exactly what I did. And within six months of that, my coaching practice became full. I went back to my job and not only did I, you know, was able to leave, but they hired me back to do some coaching at the job I was leaving to help because I saw a need there. And now, I mean, life is amazing. Um, beyond my wildest dreams, Giovanna. And, and I have more time with my children. I travel and I get to speak to cool people like you. I love it. I love that story. And for me, like what I got from, you know, listening to you now and, you know, reading it in the book, which you go into much more detail is I, you know, I think about myself, I think about other people. And I, I think about these like multi-passionate entrepreneurs and people that have maybe struggled to find their thing, right. To find their, their niche or their niche as the Americans would say. Right. And, and, and I see looking at your story and reading it and hearing it is like, you were made for this. Like, I, I literally feel like you were just made for this. Like, of course, you're a fatherhood and leadership coach. Like, I just, it just, does it feel like that for you? Does it feel like everything has set you up to be here? It, it really does. And, and when I, you know, I love to, even with my clients, everything that set me up, and that includes 
right? That includes the things that at the moment I thought were the worst things in my life. And, I, and, and as I speak to you and I talk about that difficult divorce, you know, I'm a day after yesterday, me, my ex-wife and my son went to the beach and we had the most amazing day together because we have this just amazing relationship that we've worked on. Um, and it went from a place of, of just over a couple few years of, of coming from a place of a different, difficult divorce. And yes, I believe that everything that I've gone through in my life, just like people out there, everything you've gone through, right, has prepared you for this next step in the journey. And, and for me, connecting with fathers and understanding that like these unhealthy kind of beliefs that we were taught early on, that we don't show people we're vulnerable, that we can't be honest. I didn't want to make have a book and create a book that was like, hey, look at the fatherhood guru expert who floats in, in the sky and is above it all. You know, I wanted a real authentic book of like kind of where, when I fell short. And, um, you know, I talk about a lot in the book and I remember coming back to my nonprofit, for instance, and I, and I came back and I was going to speak to these guys who I ran these programs from the South Bronx. And, and they were when I walked in the room, I had this speech I was going to give them. It was a pretty big audience and 45 minute speech. And when I walked in, they said, oh, I saw your TED talk and, you know, I basically want my autograph. And they, they put me on this pedestal. And I realized that this is the exact thing that that really would prevent them from hearing a real good message. And I was going to give one speech that day and I, I scratched it and I sat at the end of the table and I looked out in the crowd and I scratched the speech and I said to these guys, I said, hey, listen, my daughter hasn't spoken to me in a couple of weeks. She's off at college and I'm feeling a certain way. I need I need your help. And in that moment, they opened up and they were like, yo, I can understand this. And, and they gave their insights. And we had so much of a, an amazing conversation that I realized that men need a space. And, and in the book, I want to create a space where men can honestly step up into their most authentic self and be vulnerable. Because uh, this book isn't a how-to book. It's not a, a parenting book. It's how you could become the best version of yourself where it trickles down to everybody around you. And uh, I, I liken it to the coffee in the saucer, right? And, you know, I'm from New York, so I don't know what they call it in London. They might call it like a saucer. But in New York, we call it a saucer, you know, a the saucer. thing. A saucer and a teacup or a coffee cup. A teacup. And I think as parents and, and you're, you're, the mothers out there and the women out there who are entrepreneurs listening, the same thing with fathers. Like when we serve, we serve our family, our communities, you know, our jobs you know, our friends and we serve oftentimes out of this cup and eventually the cup gets empty and we're overwhelmed and we just feel like we get in victim mode. Um, and my job through the book is to show men how to fill their teacup so there's an overflow and the overflow goes on to the saucer. So when they're serving, when they're serving their children, when they're serving the community, their families, they're serving from the saucer and not the cup. That's a, I love that analogy. Um, and, and I give, and you shared this in the book too, the analogy of the, um, you know, put the, put the oxygen mask on you first. And I say this to women a lot because I mean, I, this to me, when I heard this, it was like, I don't know, some kind of revelation, like the heavens opened up because when I had my alternative medicine practice, you know, after almost eight years, I had what everybody knows now is called a burnout. Like I just burnt out. I didn't want to talk to nobody. I didn't want to give anyone any more health advice. I didn't want to look at any more blood work. I didn't, I didn't want to do any of it. I just like want to run. And I realized later somebody called it compassion fatigue. And then later on, when I started to learn this concept of, oh, actually, I have nothing to give if my cup is empty, just like you said. So it is, it's, it's about 
that. It's not so it's not how to find more ways to keep giving. It's how can you give to yourself? And I love that you talk about that in the book, especially for men, because I think sometimes even to as women, you know, one of the things that really struck me reading this is I remember the way I looked at my own father and even the way I've looked at some of my partners in the past, which is like, oh, yeah, like, you know, they got it together. Like they're the they're strong, like they can do it. And you talk in your book about these three main themes that you see men struggle with the most. You talk about performance, security, and mortality. And I wonder if you can go a little deeper into that so that the you know the women or even the men listening can understand better. Yeah, and I think, I love that you touched on that and, and the women listening as well as men. I mean, the women listening, I mean, oftentimes men, we, we show up and we've been trained to kind of put up a front and, and deep down we really struggle with these three things and and the performances inside as a man we always want to be our best and we want to show up and see will we be the best father we can be and and like i said before even though i didn't have a template I thought that I had to walk around and act like I had it all together, but oftentimes that same thing was the same thing that prevented me from getting the help I needed and some insight. And the insight often came from your partner or your mother or woman. You know, I I was raised by an amazing woman and my mother, who's my hero. And, you know, there's a point where you can also ask for help. But men, that vulnerability is tough to come across. And then there's security. Like men are really difficult. Like we have a hard time. Like we want to know that we are going to be able to protect our family and they're going to be secure. Both physically protect them, just goes back a long time, financially and emotionally. And I think that like when I work with men, it really is to try to take the mask off, Giovanna, and say like, what do you want to create? Like not with your father, the you know, what your father was as a father or your mother. You can learn from them, but you have an opportunity to create whatever relationship you want in your life. And and the funny thing is one of my clients, she she read the book as well, and she called me about that same chapter about forgiveness with her father. And she realized, for me, forgiveness was not about my father. It was about me freeing myself from kind of this barrier that was preventing me from what was in front of me. And she was so touched. She said she read read it three times and she had some questions around the story because we live our life based in this fantasy. We, we, we put labels on people like our partner, like our father, like our mother. And in all honesty, they're one out of seven billion people in the world. And if I didn't put the label of father or partner on him, would I have the expectations that I have? And that's where we fall short in relationships and having these expectations that lead to people letting you down and resentments and you know, I try to trade those expectations into like gratitude and appreciation. How can I appreciate the person in front of me and not have an expectation as in because they're my father? And, and when I realized, Giovanna, that my father did the best he could with the information and tools he had, it freed me up for everything. Mm, I love that. And I love that you went there because that was going to be my next question is around this topic of forgiveness, because I had a similar experience and and you talk about this in the book too. Like it doesn't, it's not like you just get there, you arrive at some destination and suddenly it's like, okay, it never comes up again. Like I still have moments where my dad triggers me or he pisses me off somehow because we're, we're meaning making machines. Like we have these expectations and someone does something or says something and we create this whole meaning and this entire story around it. And like most of the time it's not even true. Um, So I love that. 
Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, Diva. No, no, I was going to say I love that you 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 talked about that in your book because again, when I started to see my father as not just my father who should have all this all his shit together and should have done this and should have done that and should have should have should have, and I actually started seeing him as a person and seeing where he was wounded and where you know he had dreams that he had to give up on and and all these things you you start to develop. A sense of compassion and um, there's a, a beautiful lesson and it's probably the crux of the entire Course in Miracles but the the deepest and truest sense of forgiveness is actually the realization that there was never a transgression right exactly yeah. exactly and the true forgiveness it's less about someone else and really just unlocking the chains that you the mental prison that you put yourself in by living off that story you talk about that we create in our mind and um, it really does free you up in all the relationships of your life. I remember, you know, and you're right. It's not like a, I have arrived aha moment. It's just a continuous awareness of when this thought comes up that you just identify. And, you know, I look at the thought now and say, oh, that's just a thought. It's not real. And it'll pass. There's nothing I need to do. There's nothing I need to go and 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 create. It's just understanding that it's a thought. So I was at the Met game once, and this isn't in the book, but I was at the Met game last couple of a year ago. I brought my father to Met game. We had front row seats, right? And um, we're sitting at the Met game and he turns and, and you know, this is when you kind of want to say, hey, thank you, man. I never had front row seats. Like they're bringing your food down. There's cushioned seats. And he turns to me and he says, you know, thanks for having, oh, it's good to have you back. Now, in my head, right, Giovanni, I'm like, wait a second. Good to have you back means we've been here before, one. Second, like, are you ungrateful? This is what I'm going through <laughs> in my head, right? And, and you know, one of my great, um, best quotes that I love is Mozart, where it says, music isn't in the notes. Music is in the silence, in the space between the notes. Mm. And between that thought in my head of all this thing that I was triggered in, and before any words came out my mouth, there was this space. There was this silence between the notes. And in that space, that's where something emerged, right? There was a connection, my spiritual connection. Something emerged. And what emerged was that's his way of saying thank you. Mm. And because I was able to acknowledge that, we had an amazing game. He's an amazing grandfather. He's, 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 he's really been, our relationship has, has been tenfold. Uh, amazing ever since. And um, it's because listening to that inner kind of voice and allowing that space, and that's what forgiveness does. It frees me from the bondage of my past. Oh, that's so beautiful. I love that story because it is, it's a practice creating that space, right? Because the ego or that inner child, that voice that comes up, it's like, hey, I want to be recognized. Like, you should be appreciating me. Like, it's that's not even our truest essence, right? That's that little wounded kid. And normally what we do if we haven't practiced and trained ourselves is we just react. And then like that could have been a whole other experience for you and him. You could have, it could have ruined the whole night. Yeah, absolutely. And, and in the book, I have activities for men to do. And, and now it's funny because, you know, the first adopters are always like, if when I throw workshops, right, I, I have specific kind of fatherhood men workshop, but I also have personal professional development workshops. And usually it's about 70, 30 women, because women, I just think in the, in the personal development, self-help, field, there's like this 60, 40, 70, 30, you know, being the first adopter. So my first three calls who read the book were actually females. And and they <laughs> talked about kind of this 
this breakthrough of identifying kind of where the wounded child, but where now we could create and, and not fall victim to our stories and realizing that forgiveness. Once my father like validated me, I realized that there was no need for validation because there was, like you said, there was no wrong ever done. And it was only for me to learn through my practice that everything was right just out as it was. Mm, I remember that part in the book and I loved it because you you had already got to such a place of like peace and forgiveness around things that you were self-validated. Like, and it, it was at the moment that you didn't need his validation that it actually came when he sent you that text message. Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. I love that. I wonder now if you can go into, I, I love what you bring to fatherhood. I love the vulnerability that you bring. I mean, a lot of parents, you know, mine included, God bless them, right? They had that whole authoritarian, like never make a mistake, never look like you made a mistake, act like you know everything. And you have a whole other refreshing, beautiful approach. Can you talk about that? Yeah. The three things that really I focus on in the book is with men is influence, intimacy, and impact. And to me, the reason why fatherhood is leadership is because leadership like fatherhood is not about your title. It's about just how your influence. It's about how one life can influence another's life. So anybody can call themselves a dad or a father, but it's really about your influence that makes you a father, just like in leadership. And then the second part is intimacy. And I think that for me, what I've realized is that my children have be, are actually my gurus. They are my greatest teachers. And they always are the mirror that holds me up to the standard, right, that, that I want to be as a father. So, for instance, I remember and I tell, you know, the do as I say, not as I do kind of authoritarian parenting as well as leadership to me is plain played out. It's, it's not – because children watch what you do. Just like a leader of an organization, when I go into organizations, people watch what the CEO, what the boss does. And it's more about do as I do and do as I say, and not just one without the other. So for instance, and, and you're going to fall short of that ideal. I fall short many times, but I try to, what I call, have my audio match my video. So it's easy it's easy to speak a good game and say a good game but are you walking are you walking what you're talking right and my children always point that out so for instance a couple of years ago I was I roughhouse with my my two younger ones my boys and you know research actually shows that men that's what they can bring to the table the roughhousing actually helps in their development and cognitive development and the ability to socialize later on so it's not a bad thing even though I know my mom and and mother's always like stop throwing them up and it's dangerous. And, and like, that's kind of what we bring. And I remember that, you know, I always roughhouse with them and they were roughhousing this specific day. And, um, I had like a proposal that was due and I really was, didn't actually fill my cup that day and, and, and wasn't really at my best. And I was, I was tight and they were just loud. And, and I turn around and I'm like, cut the, you know, and I go off and yell at them. And they both look like shocked and amazed, like, because they know that, like, I'm pretty cool, man, calm and collected. I'm probably a fun parent, maybe not, you know, whatever. Like, I, I don't take too much too serious. And my son, my 15 year old at the time looks at me and, and my youngest son's looking at me and my, he says, you know, dad, can I ask you something? And I'm like, what? What do you want to ask me? <laughs> and he says, um, he says, you know, I had the podcast at the time. He knew I was coming out of the book. He said, um, what, what 
part of fatherhood is leadership is that. And there was a pause and a silence, right? Because if I would have been like the old school parent, like back talk, backhand, how dare you? And I paused and we just started dying laughing. I said, yeah, you're absolutely right, man. You're absolutely right. I like, right. And, and that to me is the beauty of intimacy into me. You see like into me, I see, right. The intimacy of allowing someone to understand that you fall short and me showing my children that, that yes, dad stands for something. He stands in these possibilities and he's human and falls short is the greatest lesson. And they always bring it up to me and they've actually are my greatest teachers. I absolutely loved that story when I read it. That was one of my LOL kind of laugh outside moments. Cause I was like, first of all, I was like, Oh God, if I, I wonder what would happen if I would have said that to my father, I probably would have got the backhand or something. Right. But I just loved because the reason I loved it is because what you're espousing and what you talk about a lot is that you don't have to have all your shit figured out as a, as a parent, as a dad, like you can show them I'm work in progress and I'm vulnerable. And, and it's actually, you know, I, I kind of put myself in, in your son Justice's shoes when he said that, because I was like, he must've felt just a closer connection with you. He must've felt like, Oh, you know, my dad's real. I can just kind of call him on stuff. Lovingly. It didn't sound like he said it snarky or you know right and that's what I learned Giovanna like my job isn't to create many versions of me as a parent you know and and kind of like do as I say not as I do gives the impression of like I know better than you and I can't learn anything and for me it's my job as a parent is to create a space for my children to grow into the best version of what was meant for them And if that was coming up for my son and he didn't have a space to kind of – he was basically questioning, Dad, this is what you say you're about. Is this part of it? If I didn't allow for that space for him to do that, you know, he may have shut down in the future and not feel like he had a voice. And, and, I mean, my son is an amazing leader and my daughter is doing some um, great things. And and I don't take credit because of that. It's because of the space that – for them to step into their own leadership and their own best version of themselves. And, and I think that's what it's about nowadays. Um, when I see this shift, I'm trying to shift the paradigm um, of modern day father and how father, fatherhood's viewed. I think that oftentimes people see me with my kids and, and or someone will go out and, and in the city, you see fathers with their children more than any time in history. But oftentimes we relate to a bad experience. So I hear some version of, oh, you're doing great with fathers. They need more like you. Um, but in reality, there's more fathers involved in their children's lives than any other time in history. And the problem out here is in a fatherhood crisis. I think that one of the issues out here is we have a relationship crisis. Mm. Somewhere along the way, we forgot we belong to one another, whether we're together or not. I think that is, to me, why I'm focusing on men becoming the best version of themselves so they can show up and be better leaders in their family, whether they're married, divorced, outside their family, in the community, and then ultimately in the world. Amen. I love that. I, I want to like put that on a loop and just play it over again. I love that. It is. It's a, I, I really believe that. It's funny. When I started coaching, I, it was relationship coaching. It was my first love. It's still my love, but it's evolved now because like you said, everything is about relationship. And I love that we belong to each other. So we need to nurture these, these things. And you're, 
You are so great at that. And and I have to tell you, I, I, I kind of hinted off, off air that I was going to share this insight, but now's the perfect time to share it. I really see, you know, with all the, the story that you share around your dad and the difficult initial experience that you had and, and that promise, right? Like, I'm never going to be like that. I'm going to be a totally different dad. And there was a moment when you were telling the story of, of bringing your son to, uh, uh, it wasn't a basketball game. I think it was the, the, the draft NBA, pick. Yeah, the NBA draft. Yeah. yeah. And you talked about you were in, in, in 205, which is pretty much the nosebleeds. And you had all these cool things happening. And the entire section was engaged and everybody was laughing. And I was reading that going, of course, like that is Devin. Like, of course, everybody, he's got everyone talking and everybody's best buddies but it reminded me of how you lovingly described your dad at the beginning. And I really saw in you that you took that like best piece of him almost because I could picture that. I could picture being there and you just doing that. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely, you know, that was um, my son actually said that was the best day of his life. And uh, I'll never forget that. And when I asked him, you know, he's a big basketball fan, why that was the best day of his life. He didn't say anything about the basketball part of our night. He, he talked about exactly what you said. Like we were in the nosebleed sections all the way at the top. And when I first went in, I thought it was, you know, the worst seats. And we just went and connected with everybody, joking and laughing and connecting. And there's still guys from Section 205 who live in France who just told me they got the book. And like two years later, it's just amazing. And I think that that's one of the things. It's it's a gift I, I feel like I have, but also something that I love to show my children that if you treat people, if you really come from a place of service and, and there's so many people in the world who has it twisted where they're trying to get something to give something instead of just giving from their heart. And sometimes the best thing you could give someone is a smile, a hug, a conversation, have them understand that you're just actually listening to them. And and for me, that has been kind of the the secret ingredient, I would say, of, of my kind of success as a coach and, and that I'm not out here trying to get real. I just want to serve in a way. And sometimes that's just a conversation. I say it in the book that you don't have to change the world by the next, you know, the next new invention. You could change the world one conversation at a time, one relationship at a time, and one kind act at a time. Mm. And you live that. I just, I, I, I hope you hear that. Like, I really just see how you live that. And People just instantaneous fall in love with you. And I just, I, I could see that. I could see that in 205 when you guys were all sitting there. I'm like, of course they stuck around late. Of course, because Devin was there and he was probably starting it all up. I love that. And I, well, too, Giovanna. I feel like I instantly <laughs> fell in love with you when we met too. And we had a nice little crew. All of a sudden we had a bunch of people surrounding us. So I think uh, we make a pretty good team. Yeah, I, do, I, I think so too. I love it. I just, I think when you're, you emanate that energy and what, again, what I love most to echo what you said is that you model that for your children like you don't you don't need to walk around with your your heart closed assuming everyone's your enemy and seeing the world from this you know protective fearful place like it's just being open-hearted and talking to like you said talking to people with respect joking around with them and and opening up yeah and that's you know that's a work in progress too like that's always been my heart Giovanna however I'm from New York 
<laughs> you know, I, I, I drive this. I, I'm on the subways. We're not, you know, we're not used to like just say, oh, I'm vulnerable today. How you doing? Like, you know, New Yorkers have that face like, you listen, <laughs> don't talk to me. But it, deep down, and I think that's really prepared me because deep down I saw the, the beauty in even the tough exterior of, you know, some of the most difficult parts of New York. And, and as I traveled and I was able to go all over and uh, my love for California out there, I, I think that the more you work on yourself, it, all this stuff to me is an inside job. There's nothing outside of me that I can get that's going to allow me to realize that I already have everything I need inside of me. And the more I went inward for my happiness, the more I went inward for my success, the more I went inward for like how to create the financial prosperity I wanted and, and the love and the relationships, it started reflecting outside. And I think the inside out approach is the only way that I found to be my most authentic self because authenticity, I think like vulnerability, if is if not questioned is overused sometimes. So when I tell for I said authenticity, like when you go into your into the room with your six year old nephew or your six year old son, do you stop at the door and say, wait a second, I have to be more authentic? No, you just go in, you get on the floor and you roll around and you say whatever comes to your mind. And oftentimes, if you haven't done the work on the inside out approach, the inside work to like open your heart, you don't even allow the world to see that. And for me, you know, I I think that the more lives I can touch just in a conversation um, and the more people I could be of service to, I know the better my world will be. I agree. I agree. And I want to take us to I want to take us to your firstborn because yeah. there was a I, I you know I said to myself there's a part in the book where she's secretively and anonymously getting ready to present you with an award at an event and she had to write a letter about you as a dad and I said to myself oh this is so good I'm gonna read it on the show and I realize I won't get through it I will be sobbing it will be completely unintelligible and I'm not gonna do it but I am gonna read the one line that just, you know, broke my heart open, but also like was one of the biggest reasons I wanted you on the show to talk about fatherhood, especially being a father to a young girl. And she says in this one line, for those of you that don't have the book, uh, when you get it, it's page 132. But she says, unlike others, my dad wasn't the first heartbreak, but he was the one who showed me unconditional love. And I, I cannot tell you, I just, I, it broke me open because for so many women, their dad is their first heartbreak. It's where they first experience the masculine not being the leader or letting them down. And this just made me like, it just broke me open. And can you talk to us a little bit about maybe how it's been different for you with your daughters or your daughter versus your sons? Yeah, well, now you got me tearing up a little I know, I'm all choked up. I'm, I'm so glad the video's not on. <laughs> I'm like, well, yeah, oh man. Um, and, and it's a good thing. And, and that's what I like want to show the men that I work with and the world. Like it's okay to tear up because that to me, there's some connection between father and daughter. You know, my daughter was our uh, first born. I was 23 when she was born. And um, it just changed everything, Giovanna. It changed how I looked at women. Not that I had a negative look, but it just, it was a different perspective now that I have a daughter. It changed how, you know, I, how I was speaking, how I was treating. Not that it was a bad thing at times. I just was young and dumb and didn't know. Um, but it changed everything. And my daughter, raising a daughter has been one of, probably the greatest gift 
of my life. And she, she has by far taught me the more about life than I could ever teach anyone in this world. She's such an amazing young woman. And throughout the years, you know, she's just been daddy's little girl. And, and, you know, she's, we've had amazing conversations. She's 19 now. And the conversations she has with me, I'm like, man, I wish I knew what you know at 19. Like <laughs> I, I start figuring some from, I was asking these questions at 35, maybe. And, um, she's just, you know, raising a young woman is just really words can't describe it. And, and the day you spoke about, you know, she surprised me. You know, I wanted her to come to my keynote I was doing for the Real Dads Network. And she had written, you know, they give an award for the Real Dad of the Year Award. And, and it's kind of anonymous. And she had reached out and wrote this letter about me. And, and I was going on to give this keynote. And they said, before we do the keynote, we want to give the Real Dad of the Year Award. And they read this amazing thing. And I was tearing up. And I realized about three quarters through that it, she had written it and um, they gave me this, you know, it was just from her heart. And um, for me, I didn't have to be her heartbreak. I, I really wanted to show her from an early age that like men stand and fathers stand by their daughter. And, and I treated her like a queen and, and told her like, you know, one of the greatest things she tells me is that she also isn't looking outside for validation from other men, from other girls, you know, because women, you know, girls at, at early age in high school and college can be um, difficult to uh, in relationships. I'm learning. And um, she's really grown into this mature, powerful, loving um, young lady. And, and I don't take all the credit. She is an amazing mother as well. And, and we our co-parenting has, has, has been really great over the years. But it, it's just, to me, by far my greatest teacher. And, and it's just it warms my heart every time I speak about her. And, you know, I just uh, she's at that age where she's like, Dad, I need a little more space. And and it's like, <laughs> let me go. And, and but it's 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 like watching a flower blossom. And um, it's just it's just amazing. I, yeah, I, I mean, I have to tell you just again, reading this was and was profound to me. And it's true what you said there. I just want to pick on one piece of that, because if women, you know, and of course, it's it's boys too, young men, but if we don't have great examples as our, you know, initial parents, you know, one of the things I say all the time, I say, you know, I think I've repeated it on this podcast umpteen times, but, you know, one of our responsibilities as adults is to learn to reparent ourselves. Right. And for some people, I mean, that's really hard work and a lot of work because we didn't get that great example. And that's why I believe what you're doing and what so many moms are doing that are actually doing help for motherhood as well is that what you're doing with your mission is really laying that foundation for her to write this. And if I recall correctly, she was 16 or 15 when she wrote this. Yeah. You know, for her to already write this, this at this age, of course, she doesn't need to look for external validation from boys. You know, I remember doing that as a, as a young girl and maybe even not that long ago. Right. <laughs> right? Because, you know, right. if you don't have that, we don't realize, but unconsciously as women, we're perpetually looking for that. We're pre perpetually looking for daddy's love. So that's, I think that's why I was so broken open when I read this. And again, I wish I could read it on the show for you ladies listening, but I will not get through it. I will just start blubbering in tears. <laughs> Yeah. You know, it's funny, Jim. Like, I can't even, every time I hear it or read it, I still will tear up. And it's a beautiful thing. Like, it's such a beautiful connection. And, and like, for instance, 
I don't know where I learned this thing. Like I always walk on the outside of the curb, right? So I remember she came back and she said, Dad, I had this date. And I told the guy, I said, listen, I don't, ex-, she says to the, to the young man, she says, I don't expect you to know this, right? But my father always had me walk on the inside uh, my whole life. So I'm going to just let you know off, off bat, you got one chance. <laughs> And I thought that was like the coolest thing. She's like, he opens doors too. So I'm just letting you know my expectations now. And then we could go from there. And I thought it was one of the coolest things she came back and told me. <laughs> I, I, I absolutely love her already. I, she's That's awesome. Because that's, again, because you're modeling what a man, what a gentleman should do and how he should treat his woman and how he should be the leader in a relationship. And, and the woman is his queen and I mean, it's all, it's just, it's, you're working, like, this is grassroots, like, ground level stuff, because how much, and of course, I tell my friends that get nervous about screwing up their kids, I'm like, just, you're going to do it anyway, you're not perfect, like, just, right. just surrender that, but at the same time, you're, you're doing so much um, by way of planting a beautiful foundation, and with that, I did want to talk about a really important piece. And I see this, you know, I, I'm not blessed to have children of my own. Uh, I probably won't in this lifetime, and I'm okay with that. But I've had seven nieces and nephews who I adore. And I've watched my sisters and other moms and, and dads go through that, like, letting go, that surrender piece. And I know that you just recently had to go through this with your daughter going away to college. So will you talk about that a little bit and your experience of that? Yeah, it's one of the things where it's like I used to watch the the old Kung Fu movies and they were always had this this theme of like when the you know, we've heard it before, the Buddha the Buddha saying of like when the teacher is ready, the student appears. And and only over the last few years of and my daughter being the oldest, I've learned from her is that like it was very hard to let go initially. But when I started looking at her as like she is her own leader and she is actually one of my or my greatest teacher that while hard to let go. Um, it's one of the most beautiful things to allow happen. And I think that parents oftentimes think that their children's failures or when they fall short or when they, in their view, mess up, it's some type of reflection on them. And and I really don't believe that. I think that you want to create a space for your children to be able to go out on their own and make mistakes because I wouldn't be the person I am today if I didn't make mistakes. And I used to say, you know, when people said a life coach, how do you become a life coach? One of my things I used to tell them was, well, basically, I really messed my life up early on in my life. <laughs> bad. And I try to learn from it. And I try to help other people not do the same thing and, and create miracles. So, I mean, I think that you want children to feel feel like failure isn't really failure. It's an opportunity. And that's where the greatest growth comes. So while letting go of my daughter in college was very hard, Giovanna, again, I was getting like a little teary eyed and, and seeing her come into her own. I knew she was ready. And that's because of the work and the conversations we had already done leading up to it. And and does that mean she made every decision right in college? Uh, no. And I don't make every decision right now in adulthood. So um, give them a break, allow them to grow, allow them to fall short and allow yourself to do the same. Mm, I love that. <laughs> I uh, this is the last piece here I want to touch on because I think it's important. This is another piece that had me crying 
is uh, on page 100, you talk about a really terrifying experience you had up in the air flying. And you've, you've got these questions here. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the questions. And then if you could, after, share the story with us. The questions that came to you in that moment were, did I show them enough that I love them? Did I make enough time for them? Will they have an amazing life? See, I'm getting choked up. Did I teach them enough? Did I allow them to teach me enough? Did I listen with love? And can you tell us how these questions came to you? Yeah, I actually, I thought the last day on earth for me, I was near death. Um, I had one of the most amazing weekends in San Antonio and I I got on a plane. I, I take the same airline and this time they didn't have my airline. So first I get to this airline that I didn't want to take and I go to the front and I bought a ticket and they said, you have to wait till somebody cancels. And I was like, what? I bought a ticket. So they put me in the last row of this airline and we're sitting on the tarmac for like 30 minutes and nobody's saying anything. And I'm like I said, you know, I'm from New York, Giovanna, San Antonio. People are like the nicest people in the world. Right. And they're like so friendly and just chill. Right. But believe me, if we were sitting on a on on a runway for 35 minutes in New York, there'd be some problems up in there. Right? <laughs> so, so we're sitting on a runway and all of a sudden the captain gets on the loudspeaker and, and like in this frantic yelling voice, we aren't even in the air. He yells and says, we're not going anywhere until I know you're safe and I'm safe. And I'm like, whoa, first of all, I didn't know we weren't safe, right? This was around the time a couple of years ago where Texas had all these floods and we didn't know this was going on. So finally, I'm nervous. We get in the air about 20 minutes into the air. It was like a head on collision. And it was like, it was the impact. You know, I travel a lot on planes. I go all over and and turbulence doesn't bother me. I've never experienced anything like this. And the back of the plane, I'm on the, I'm looking out the back is fishtailing. And this, this aircraft, it's like, it was like a head on with a semi truck and it's like fishtailing. And it was so, the impact was so powerful that the cabinets opened up and people's luggage were coming down. I mean, I feel like it was so scary that the adults got like the children, the babies got quiet and the adults were screaming. Right. And I'm on this thing. I'm on this airline and I'm like, oh, this is it. Like we're going down. And I turn behind me to get some comfort. And there's this young woman who you could tell it's probably her first year. She's pretty brunette. And she's just like sitting in and like in her seat, holding her seat like it was going to be like ejected from the plane. And she's the stewardess. And I turn to her and I'm like, is this normal? Are we okay? And she looks at me, Giovanna, and you could tell she all her training from flight school was kicking in of keep calm and don't tell don't tell the passengers there's a problem. And you could tell she wanted to tell me and she opens her mouth and says, no, we're not. I I said, what? And in that moment, I realized, you know, I just got quiet and I was nervous and I, I realized I was going to die. And, and all of a sudden, again, there was that space between the notes and there was this silence. And in that silence, there was nothing that I was worried about, about how much money I accumulated, the house, the car, the whatever. The only thing that really came up was these experiences with my children and relationships and loved ones. And with my children, it was these questions that came up, the ones that you read. Did I give enough? Did I love enough? Did I listen with love? Um, And in that moment, the beauty of it, Giovanna, that it got really quiet, got really silent. And I was because of the work I had done and because I had done transformational work with myself, Um, I felt good about what I was leaving as my legacy with my children. I felt like I did give them all 
all of me while I was here. And there was a piece in that. And um, thank goodness the universe had different plans and we landed and, and I'm here to talk about it. But uh, it was really a, 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 tr- a turning point and a really powerful moment in my life. And you use this in the book to really highlight to men, which in, nowadays I think applies to women too, is you know, what's in your bank account, what accolades you achieved, you know, what awards you won, or, you know, the business you started, like all of that outside stuff in that moment, right in that last moment, it that's not what you were thinking about. It, It didn't matter. It didn't matter. And it was really confirmation of for me, the service or contribution to my children is my contribution to the world. And my contribution to my clients is my contribution. So it's less about what I'm getting and accumulating, whether it's the accolades or the money or that. All that is fine. I think money is only a reflection of the service you're given anyway. But but it didn't matter in the moment. What mattered was, did I give enough? Did I give enough love? Was I there enough and present? And those are the things that matter. You know, I work with a guy who's a big, big head honcho in a financial Fortune 100 company. And he works with money all day. And and he says, you know, Devin, people spend their whole life trading time for money only to wish at the end of their life they could give the money back for more time. And I don't want to get to the end of my life and want to give more stuff back for more time. I want to make my time matter. And that's why being present in the moment, being loving, being giving in the moment to your children, to your families, to your community, uh, to me is what it's about. I have one last question. I lied. I said the other one was the last one, but this is this is really the last one. All right. What has been the lesson that it has taken you the longest to learn? That is an amazing, that's a great question. That's like an Oprah Super Soul Sunday question, I feel. I like that. Um, you know, wait, you know why? Yeah. You know why you feel that way? Why? Because it is an Oprah Super Soul Sunday. Con- <laughs> You know that I'm like an oh, you know me. We keep, like I'm a Super Bowl Sunday guy. Like I, think I we, caught that. I caught that last week on Facebook when we were both sharing posts from Super Soul. I'm like, he's watching Super Soul Sunday too. <laughs> and in, the, in my one of my last podcasts, I said I'm gonna I'm gonna start playing with these Super Soul questions. And I purposely saved that one for you today. I'm like, I want to see if he catches it. You totally yeah. caught it. <laughs> I love that. No, it's like oh. The lesson really that took me the most to learn uh, or the longest to learn has been that everything in this moment and being present is exactly how it's supposed to be. That I can create change. I can be I can create transformation. I could create great business relationships, but I have to first be okay and, and loving of what is in the here and now. And the more that I'm present, presence has been the thing that's taken me the longest to learn. The more I am pr- connected to my reality of the here and now, the more that I see life for the beautiful thing that it is and and everything around it. Thank you. Thank you for that. Devin, you know I love you. I love the work you're doing in the world. I love this book. For those of you listening that have not gotten the book, it's called Fatherhood is Leadership, Your Playbook for Success, Self-Leadership, and a Richer Life. I know some people in my life who are going to get this as a gift. Ladies, if you're listening, um, get it for your get it for the men in your life. Get it for the fathers in your life. Um, get it for yourself. Like I said, I got so much just for myself in this book. 
Thank you for writing it and for everything you do, Devin. And mostly thank you for being on the show. Well, it's been an honor and a pleasure. And, and to all those listeners out here, I, I really appreciate what you're doing out here in the world. And Giovanna, keep up the great work. You're really impacting lives. And, and I love you a lot. Love you too, brother. Thank you so much for tuning in and keep rising everyone for books and resources related to today's episode make sure you head over to sherisespodcast.com and i'll see you there if you've enjoyed today's episode make sure you tune back in next week when i dive into more juicy topics to help make your life the best it can be and hey if you've enjoyed listening to the show and you love it head on over to itunes and leave me a rate and review and subscribe there to the show 